Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we are watching each episode of Call the Midwife and recapping them one by one without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 4 of Call the Midwife. This episode was directed by Roger Goldby and written by Mark Catley. Roger Goldby directed Episodes 2 and 3 of this season of Call the Midwife. And this is Mark Catley's only episode of Call the Midwife as a writer. All right. I can almost see that because it's a little bit different than some of the other episodes. It's it very, there's only two plots in this episode. And I quite like that because of it. So getting into the recap, we begin, as usual, with our mature Jenny narration. She muses on becoming bolder and taking risks, but she's still naive about life. Fred plays gin rummy and takes bets with Mr. Roberts. <laughs> Timothy, Dr. Turner's son, arrives at the clinic with a scrape, and Sister Bernadette tends to him when his father is too busy. Mrs. Roberts clashes with the other women about her putting on airs. Reverend Appleby Thornton arrives at Nanata's house and is extremely chatty. The nurses return from a fair, giggling about their first kisses, and Jane reveals that she hasn't had one. Jenny is called to go to Ruby Roberts' birth. Sister Evangelina insists on delivering since she delivered her older children. They work together to deliver the baby, a boy, and find that he has an issue with his spinal cord. Jenny can't hide her emotions, and they must tell Ruby what's wrong with him. Mature Jenny begins by talking about boldness and I don't know, maybe this is something to bring up again at the end of the episode. Maybe I'm jumping the gun a bit, but uh, I'm interested to note through the episode how much the rest of this episode is going to be about boldness. Mm -hmm. Because you said there are two stories, and, you know, one of them is Jane's story, and the other is Ruby's story. And Jane's story is really about boldness. Yeah. But the story that Jenny is in doesn't really seem to me to be about boldness in this no. episode. What do you think? I think that uh, it's maybe that she's becoming more bold as a midwife. And in Ruby's story, she is kind of failing to uh, be a proper midwife in this. She's really struggling. But yeah, I don't see it being about boldness. But I do see it about being about naivete yes. when she is... Uh, surprised by spina bifida patient and not knowing really what to do and not being able to have the professionalism that Sister Evangelina has. So do you want to talk through Ruby's story first or Jane's first? Let's talk through Ruby's story first because we begin with Fred playing Rummy with uh, her husband whose name is Douglas. Douglas, Douglas Roberts, uh, who is a gambler. And yeah. it's, they wager on whether the baby's going to be a boy or a girl. She says because she, they already have two girls, it's going to be a boy this time. Um, mm-hmm. And on other things, uh, 
then we have he is making some money and being promoted. So Ruby is very proud and very a little bit snooty about her wealth. And this is not the first, is definitely not the last uh, class clash that we see in the maternity war in the uh, clinic. clinic. Yeah, the absolutely. Clinic. She comes in and like the other mothers do not, especially the one I can't remember. I didn't write I down her name. name, but the one like hates her for yeah. being stuck up, and like she is stuck up. Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't maybe not maybe she doesn't deserve the animosity that she gets because I don't think people deserve that kind of animosity but like it's not wrong that she's stuck up and yeah like, you're you think your farts smell like roses yeah like, no it smells like lavender <laughs> exactly <laughs> stuck up but that's a really good line it is yeah it definitely is a theme that we see again and again in this show is like if anyone puts on airs like they're better than poplar people are ready are there to like cut them down to size or tell them you know you're no fancy pants you're you live in the same street I do. Yeah. You know? I have a question about her. Like, her story is a little bit... There's foreshadowing. There's ironic foreshadowing that it's all so mm. exciting. And it lets run off for an exciting birth that's going to be so happy. That's is setting us up for an ironic twist. Yeah. Um, her labor is especially painful. Yeah. Do you know if that's... Is that just foreshadowing, or is there a medical reason why it should be? I did not look into that, but I would suspect that doesn't make a difference. Yeah. Because the spina bifida is a developmental uh, of the baby's spine. It has nothing to do with how they're born at all. Yeah. So I'd say it just is a bit of foreshadowing, this painful birth. Spina bifida is what... uh, The baby has. The baby has. So spina, spina bifida, I looked up... A little bit, obviously, as I start off the episodes saying, I'm not that kind of doctor, so I don't know anything really. (laughs) I know Wikipedia. But there are two kinds of spina bifida. Spina bifida just means the spine isn't developed as it Mm -hmm. should. Uh, And the one is, I can't remember the terms because I didn't write them down because I wasn't thinking ahead. Uh, But one is all internal. And often with that kind of spina bifida, like, you might never know mm-hmm. that a baby has spina bifida. If it's internal, it might not make any difference at all. Yeah. But when it's external, which we see, like, a little bit of the spine exposed to the air. Yeah. That's the more severe, the more uh, dangerous kind of spina bifida mm-hmm. that, as we see through the episode, like, it's... yeah. And it affects, it can affect brain development as well because it's, uh, they called it water on the brain. It's spinal fluid yeah. can come onto your brain. Our youngest daughter had a little dimple when she was born right where the base of her spine is. A uh, sacral dimple. A sacral dimple, it's called. And they had to give an ultrasound. They had to check, make sure that it wasn't uh, connected to her spine. And it was a little bit frightening. It was. It turns out not to have been. It, I think I was not as frightened as I would have been if I had, uh, well, I'd seen this episode by then, but <laughs> if I had, like, known anything about spina bifida, I feel like we told your mother about it and she was very concerned. Yeah. And we were like, no, it's fine. She had an ultrasound. It's all good. You know, like, we were very yeah. not as worried as we could have been. But I think some... I was 
you remembering that, I was worried. Yeah. I was very worried. She had, they had to take her away and ultrasound her and check that her spine was okay. Yeah. Maybe you were... I think I was maybe too, uh... (laughs) (laughs) The... Post-birth to to worry about that part. But the moment in that birth scene where the baby has been born and the parents are all happy mm-hmm. and Jane is all happy. Jane? Uh, sorry, and Ruby. And Ruby is all happy and excited that the baby is born and Douglas comes in and is yeah, all happy. Yeah, he tries to get and in. they're like, oh, I've been there before. Everything's fine. She doesn't need me. And... Sister Evangelina and even more so Jenny are like, haven't told them yet, don't know how to tell yeah. them, Jenny especially, and like, we can't be happy yet. Yeah. We can't. They're trying to, and especially Jenny is like, trying to keep her uh, composure. Mm-hmm. But even Sister Evangelina is like, you can see, very shaken. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a, like a harrowing scene. Those few seconds where the parents mm-hmm. are so happy and excited and they haven't caught on yet to the fact that the midwives are, are not. not. Yeah. And that's a common experience for many parents who have children with uh, any kind of birth defects or trouble mm-hmm. after they're born. In the other story... Yes, we have Jane... So yeah. I love this the scene where all the midwives or the nurses are coming home from like a fair. I guess Jane has won a goldfish. A goldfish. Yeah, I'm not which, totally clear. Some I kind mean, of something. Yeah, some kind of something. I mean, people used to win goldfishes. What was with them? Maybe they still do. Who knows? Write to us if you know of a fair where you still win goldfishes. <laughs> it seems to me like lately I have heard, lately being like the past 20 years, I've heard a lot about don't keep goldfish in small confined spaces. It's cruel. You have to give them a 20 gallon uh, (laughs) aquarium to keep a single goldfish in. Uh Uh-huh. I exaggerate. Yeah. This like image of keeping a fish in a tiny bowl is no longer very. uh, Yeah, that's true. That's uh, true. Socially sanctioned. Either way, they're all deciding that they're like, let's name the goldfish or let's talk about our first kisses yeah and then oh we'll name the goldfish after whoever your first kiss was jane and she has to admit that she this goldfish will remain nameless she's so shy and quiet and it's just so sweet uh and even like like i said in the last episode jane makes cynthia look like trixie like that Cynthia is right in there telling a story and she's so she's been so the shy one that we've seen all along but not not like Jane and we come to know in this episode that like Jane has had an upbringing that's been so different from any of them and it's Sister Bernadette I think I didn't write down I didn't attribute the quote she says, says if Jane's practically silent around her colleagues I imagine the ability to speak to men is beyond her yeah and they say, like, not even a kiss. And Sister Bernadette's like, you're talking to a nun. Yes. <laughs> Don't forget that to, I am a nun. <laughs> to live without kisses is unacceptable. It's like, who could possibly do that? You are talking to a nun. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I, I love. I love, too, their kind of shame. Like, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do feel like that's the whole thing with Sister Bernadette that we're seeing more and more in this season is that they almost forget 
that yeah. she's not one of them. Yeah. Is that she's so different from the other nuns. She's younger. She's in with the midwives so much more that she's they kind of forget. Yeah, visits. exactly. So Reverend Appleby Thornton arrives. Yeah, I have to say, and maybe this is revealing tons about me, he's supposed to be over-talkatively boring. I don't feel like he's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> he's telling interesting things about his experiences. <laughs> I d- genuinely, I know they play it like he's won't shut up, but uh, I don't feel like it's that bad. <laughs> I mean, it's it's no one can get a word in edgewise is the trouble. <laughs> Like, Sister Julienne can't even say to him, like, let me show you to your room without him talking for, like, ten minutes in a monologue. (laughs) But I do feel like, uh, like you, I don't mind people like this who talk a lot. (laughs) I don't talk a ton, and so I seek out friends who are very talkative, so I don't have to worry about filling the conversation. And so it's, uh, it's, I, yeah, I find him... Annoying, but I don't think he's not so annoying that you don't want him on screen. It's and I true. think that's a delicate balance right. for a show like this: is you have to have a character that is annoying, but not that alienates your audience. Annoying to the characters, but not to the audience. Because there's plenty of TV shows I've watched where an annoying character annoys me out of the show. Yeah, and that's not that's not good. And we're like. Gently annoyed. By yeah, him, right? exactly. Like we're still on his side and rooting for him, and we still see him as a good guy, just a little bit. And like he tells stories awkward. about Chummy, and I'm just like, I would love to see him and Chummy <laughs> in a room together. Like amazing, because he's got like the same awkwardness as her in so, a lot of ways, and it's just sweet. He is uh, the actor is very familiar to me. He's in tons of British dramas and stuff. Yeah, I couldn't place him, but he looked familiar to me yeah. too. I, I just like, as soon as I see him on screen, I'm like, oh, it's that guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, just like, I have to say, we watched the movie Ever After this past week, and Sister Monica Joan plays the queen, and it's amazing because she's also basically Sister Monica Joan as not a nun. <laughs> So if you ever get a chance to watch that movie, if you remember it from, but if you watched it ages ago like I had, it was like, hey, Sister Monica Joan! And she's basically the same. She's not a dramatically different character. And she is. But yeah. she's like, it's like Sister Monica Joan if she wasn't a nun or a midwife and before she is, where she's still eccentric but doesn't have, like, yeah. dementia yet. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> I just had to shout that out because it was so fun. I just want to go back and mention before we move on uh, the scene with Timothy. Mm, He comes into the clinic with a scrape, Timothy Turner, and uh, Dr. Turner is just like, why can't they just deal with this at the school? Like, I'm a doctor. I can see that's just a scrape. Come on. And like, he's... He's just so busy and so in his own in his own profession that he doesn't recognize that like he needs a little cuddle and like his dad. Yeah. But he's still struggling with this like single parenthood. So he passes him off onto Sister Bernadette, who is so sweet and and Timothy bonds with Sister Bernadette in this episode. And we've seen this whole season so far that like Dr. Turner means well but is not like the first episode season he kind of had not great bedside manner with patients mm-hmm. now it feels like he's grown into a character with really good bedside manner with patients but not great bedside manner with his 
child. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is, he is... Heart is in the right place, but he does not know how to take care of his son. Yeah, he's still struggling. In the struggling. way that his son needs. And yeah. this is, yet again, like, we've seen that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I think especially of the Christmas special. Yeah, exactly. He takes his lunch out of his hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Sister Bernadette. So very sweet. Yeah. Yes. So speaking of Dr. Turner, let's move on to Dr. Turner arrives to the Roberts house. He explains spina bifida to Ruby and Douglas. The baby is taken to the hospital for treatment and surgery um, immediately. So Ruby isn't given a chance to hold him. Neither is Douglas, which is a major plot point here. Mm-hmm. At Nanata's house, the Reverend surprises Jane uh, and they work together to save a fish that she's accidentally overfed. Over a montage, Jane is given more and more presents for her fish. Uh, in the same montage, the Roberts struggle with their situation. Uh, Jenny step, steps in to help with cooking and helping to take care of the baby. Over lunch, the nuns and midwives discuss spina bifida, and Sister Monica Jones suspects that it's eating green potatoes but tells about the old treatment, which was simply euthanasia. Sister Bernadette Bernadette volunteers that the Reverend should go with Jane on her rounds. They go to a house and he's upset by how the elderly are treated. The Roberts baby comes home, but Ruby refuses to hold him, blaming herself. Jenny helps out with making a bottle and pushing him in a pram. And Jenny goes to Sister Julienne, who sends her to St. Gideon's, a place for disabled mental, mentally ill patients. She meets Jacobs and suggests that the Roberts baby might move there, but is firmly rebuffed. Jane reveals that she did not work there, but was a patient. So, first of all, uh, Reverend Appleby Thornton and Jane falling in love over a goldfish I think it's fairly sweet. It is so sweet. <laughs> I found it really interesting that they have this song that's playing over this montage with Jane and the Reverend that's Young Love. Mm-hmm. But they all, but that montage and the montage of the Robert struggling is the same at the same time. Right. And so this Young Love between two Jane and the Reverend Appleby Thornton. Let's call him the Reverend. Reverend. <laughs> he doesn't have a first yeah. name at this point about the Reverend. And the Roberts struggling with their young love towards their young child yeah. is really powerful, I felt I like. I absolutely agree. And the like, in, there's a, in both parts of the montage, young love is an ironic song. Mm-hmm. Because the love is young, but Jane and Reverend are not particularly young for a new time for the time and for like if you're going to talk about ah young love like yeah that's not really that's not really who you're imagining Mm -hmm. but the love is young and so it's a gentle and sweet irony yeah and then the love for a child is not what you're thinking of either when you think of young love but it is all but it is Mm -hmm. young and love love for a young child and love that is young and that they're struggling to develop that love. Mm-hmm. It is really powerful. Yeah. So this lunch where Sister Monica Joan uh, 
she reveals that they would just kill the babies when they had that is is very interesting. Yeah. It's I mean they're shocked. Yeah. The audience we're shocked to hear that. The nurses are shocked. The nuns are not shocked. It's uh it was seen as a kindness. Yeah. And it's understandable on one level. It's also uh so interesting for a religious person mm-hmm. these religious women to talk about it being a kindness when in our history when we think of, when I don't, in modern day you think of religion it's like religious people are staunchly pro-life they would never go in for that that would be totally against mm-hmm. everything they believe in that's you know but that's not really the way things are and these since they are both nurses and nuns, they can see life and death differently, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Than this stereotypical, you know, religion equals pro-life situation. Well, and there, I mean, what we've seen through the whole series so far, and we're continually coming up against the... Uh, their perspective as medical professionals and their perspective as religiously devout and those perspectives sometimes seem from the outside to be in conflict Mm -hmm. and they usually kind of explain from the inside where they find uh where they find a a lack of conflict right that so when you say like pro-life is a euphemism for uh anti-abortion and in 21st century discourse, pro-life, sometimes people say, like, you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth. Yeah. Pro-life means actually uh, supporting the life of a person through their yeah. whole life. And I would say all of these nuns are pro-life. Yeah, that's true. Are religiously pro-life. Mm-hmm. I mean, to speak from a position of... Both ignorance and historical privilege, I think it was a uh, error in judgment, a horrible error in judgment to euthanize yes, children. Yes, absolutely. With yeah, I want to be clear that, like, that. I don't think it was a good decision. But even though, like, even though they can make errors in judgment and mm-hmm. do the really the wrong thing, there's still their perspective is still both medically and religiously pro-life mm-hmm. coupled with a perspective that yeah that includes quality of life yeah i mean the the thing about the green potatoes and right on top of euthanasia underscores like you said a second ago that uh spina bifida often comes with brain development um and a shortened lifespan. And a shortened lifespan. It usually comes with a shortened lifespan. It does, even that kind of extreme uh, risk spina bifida with the exposed spine, doesn't often, I mean, it often comes with physical disability and lack of muscular control and lack of bowel control and shortened lifespan, but not with a decrease of intelligence. Hmm. So they wouldn't necessarily have known that. And even, like, if someone can't, express themselves you don't necessarily know their intelligence and i don't know how much i just don't know how much was known in the 50s and 60s about this but i know that we now know 
that typically people with spina bifida, their intelligence is not affected. Yeah. And I feel like that's right on top of, like, the green potatoes. Yeah. Green potatoes don't cause spina bifida. As far as I know, we still don't know what does cause spina bifida. Mm -hmm. Like, it's still... Developmental. Developmental, and we don't know what causes it. Which is, like, they do their best with the knowledge that they have and the knowledge that they have is not always correct and it's not always complete. And we see mm-hmm. that really represented in the like yeah. green potatoes and it's a kindness to let them die and yeah. no and no. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's just a harrowing moment I feel like. And, uh, and it's often happening on this show where sister Monica Jones, uh, experience with midwifery was very different. Yeah, from anyone else's. From anyone and else's. Sister Julianne sometimes has, like, remembers that and has learned past it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And speaking of, like, the cause of spina bifida, Ruby blames herself. Yes. And I really, like, that conversation with Jenny where Ruby is blaming herself like she blames herself not just medically but morally Mm -hmm. she says like Jenny says we don't know what causes spina bifida it isn't a thing that you did and Ruby says I paraphrase wildly but Ruby says well I don't necessarily think I medically did something yeah but vanity is a sin yeah and we saw in the first bits of the episode she is vain and she is stuck up. Mm-hmm. And she recognizes that about herself. She and thinks that God is punishing thinks her. Thinks that God is punishing her. Mm-hmm. And Jenny just does not have an answer for that. Yeah. And that's also, like, heartbreaking. It is. But there's, and there's also an element of Jenny is blaming herself, even though Jenny knows that... There was nothing she did, had absolutely yeah. nothing to do with her delivering this baby. But for some reason, she has, I mean, be- because she was there, she feels guilty. She feels like she has to do- go the extra mile to help out. She feels responsible. Because of her responsibility. Yep. And in a second, you haven't recapped it yet, but Sister Evangelina is going to call her out on her guilt. Yeah, exactly. But we see that playing out here, that it's the same thing. Jenny's in different stakes and for different reasons and with different repercussions, but Jenny's attitude is a lot the same as Ruby's. Yeah. That she feels responsible and that responsibility is making her behave in a way that she wouldn't normally and that's not necessarily best for the baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they go to St. Gideon's and the head of it is, uh, I love her response to Jenny. Yeah. That Jenny is just like, well, I have, you know, a patient who might do well here. And she's just, nope. Yeah. No one does well here. Well, she says we take care of much as we can, but it's a home in name only. Yeah. It's called St. Gideon's home, but it's not home. Yeah. And when Jenny thinks like, this is a great solution. Yeah. The baby can just come here. Mm-hmm. They don't have to worry about it. They can visit lots and everyone can, like, it's a win-win. Yeah. And this <laughs> is the... the white, This like... is the naivety we, she spoke of earlier in the show, is that it was kind of this, it was this 50s and 60s, 50s and earlier 
idea of like, well, if someone's disabled, we can go put them in a home and then we're fine. We can, we can uh, live our lives without worrying about them. And someone will take good care of them. Take good care and of them. They'll be happier than they would be. Yeah. And, and the, no, yeah. it's not a home. And those who know know that it's not. And I want to be careful not to be like, you know, all people were like this in the fifties, but it was a an attitude that you encountered, and uh, those who worked in those places knew that it wasn't true. Yeah, yeah. And we still, I mean, like, it is, I think, a mirror to the attitude from Jenny that we saw back in the second episode of the season, when she's, Mm -hmm. in the series, I mean, when she's talking to Father Joseph about Mary. Yeah. And she's, he's just like, you don't know, you think you know. Yeah. But you don't know. Yeah. And it's, I mean, different but it's a similar, like, you think you've come in here and seen that this is a good place to be. Yeah. But it's not a home. And if they can, if the baby can stay at home, it'll be better off at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love this assumption that, oh, I'm going with Jane. Jane used to be here. That it was assumed that because Jane is an orderly, she must have been an orderly there. And then it's revealed that Jane was a patient. Yeah. And she feels shame about this. And Jenny is kind, of course, but this is, you know, an explanation to what we've seen already. We've seen that Jane is extremely shy. She's extremely hesitant with everything that, you know, and to find out that she was living in this home makes such a big uh, revelation for for who she is. Yeah. So Trixie, Cynthia, and Sister Bernadette encourage the Reverend to invite Jane to a dance. <laughs> Jane is shocked but agrees to go. Oh wait, can I actually? Oh, yeah. Because that we didn't talk about that. In when they're talking about <laughs> someone to pawn Reverend Appleby Thornton off on, because Sister Julianne is tired of him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they're like, maybe he can go on his rounds with someone else. And Sister Bernadette is like, Jane! Yeah. <laughs> I love that. she has been watching. She knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And Jane, but I, I absolutely love Sister Bernadette. Jane! And Jane says, ah. Yeah. <laughs> Which translates to, yes, please. <laughs> or maybe, no, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I think it translates to yes, please. But it it's is, just like, yes, please, but with all the anxiety. Yeah, and this is more of Sister Bernadette being a matchmaker, seeing love, having romantic ideals. And uh, and so she sees them and it's like, oh, they should get together. <laughs> and then they go on their rounds and where they go is this old couple and the old mm-hmm. man. Uh the Reverend kind of wins him over in the end. Yeah. He's like aggressive at first, but what he says that I think is one of the uh, theme statements for the episode is I'll take whatever pleasure I can find wherever I can get it because we're a long time dead. Yeah. And that's like in terms of Jane's story mm-hmm. I, and Reverend Deppelby Thornton's story, I feel like that's a thematic statement for their subplot. Yep, I agree. 
Trixie, Cynthia, and Sister Bernadette encourage the Reverend to invite Jane to a dance. Jane is shocked, but agrees to go. Jenny continues to help with the Roberts baby, earning criticism from Sister Evangelina. Ruby tries to go outside, but the neighbors are rude and she runs back inside. The Reverend waits for Jane outside the dance, but he ends up breaking up a fight with Mr. Roberts and a group of men. Jane runs away before anyone can see her, running home and collapsing into tears in her room. So this is again Trixie and Cynthia joining in with Sister Bernadette to set up Jane on her... (laughs) The three of them together being the like... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And it's sweet. They help, like, Jane gets ready. She decides she'll go. Yeah. And then she's hesitant. And while she's hesitant, this fight breaks out. And it's uh, Mr. Roberts, who is stressed out about his wife, stressed out about this new baby. And so he picks a fight with these men just for the sake of picking a fight because he wants to be punished basically and so this is kind of a way of self-punishment i think it is absolutely about self-punishment about making his emotional pain physical Mm -hmm. and like maybe a mix of punishment he blames himself just like ruby does but also of kind of manifesting his pain he's Mm -hmm. he's unhappy and doesn't know what to do and so he's just aggressive and he wants to be hurt yeah and i like i mean i feel like it is a great little moment for reverend alvey thornton that he steps in and stops the fight and i mean it's uh again he seems like a kind of dithering uh big talk yeah kind of person like not big talk but like he seems like he babbles and stands back Mm -hmm. but when the rubber hits the road he like steps in and helps yeah exactly of course he does Mm -hmm. but i like seeing it yeah this is what we talked about earlier with uh sister evangelina is critical of jenny Mm -hmm. because jenny is exhausted from her from like basically staying up helping to a baby and then has to go on her rounds and sister julienne is like well sister you gotta nope sister julienne oh. is like you need to go do your work and sister evangelina's right there going i know why you're tired yeah. and it's because you're doing the wrong thing yeah and she the, the moment of sister evangelina in her sunglasses biking up and being like Mm-hmm. And yeah. then biking off again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Getting paid to be a nursemaid. <laughs> Tough love, Sister Evangelina, once again. Yep. And even if we haven't seen to the end of the episode, I think we know we know by the end of the episode that she turns out to have been right. But I think even if we haven't seen to the end of the episode, we know you can't do this forever. Mm-hmm. And parents need like no matter what the situation parents yeah. need to take care of their children or not yeah exactly and that's hard mm-hmm. and it's harder in this situation because he's uh has spina bifida and because she feels guilty so it's physically harder and emotionally harder mm-hmm. but his parents need to take care of him or not yep oh exactly 
And the neighbor who we saw in the in the clinic, clinic yes, like, not so high and mighty now, is she? Like, shut Thank up. Thank you for your help, here. lady. Like, oh, <laughs> that is rough and like just a villain of the episode. Yep, definitely. So Jenny takes the Roberts to St. Gideon's. Ruby stays in the car while Mr. Roberts has a tour. He meets Jacob and finds out about the broken biscuits. The Reverend confesses to Jane why he talks so much. And Sister Bernadette receives a drawing from Timothy. Mm-hmm. Back at St. Gideon's, Mr. Robert gambles on Ruby by saying they can take the baby right away. He packs up the things and tells her to grab the baby. It works, and she refuses to send him away, finally picking him up. Jenny is sent away at last. Jane catches up with the Reverend as he leaves and explains about her fear and that he deserves someone brave. Mature Jenny narrates about taking risks and that the Roberts baby thrived, and Jane found acceptance and love, naming her fish after Reverend Appleby Thornton. Well, this is one of these situations that happens sometimes in the recaps where I can't remember where the breaks happen. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should have talked about it a second ago. But when Jenny, when uh, Ruby is talking to Jenny about why she hasn't picked up the baby. Mm-hmm. She hasn't picked him up the whole episode. Yeah. She takes him outside. She's scared inside by the mean neighbors. And she says, it's not that I'm care what they think it's that if i hold him i think i might die with the sadness mm-hmm. and that the and so she won't hold the baby who we are still calling the baby because he hasn't g- been given a name yet mm-hmm. on the show on the show yeah like maybe in the real life he has but the show hasn't named the baby yet at this point mm-hmm. and she won't hold him and she won't connect to him and it's partly like we've seen it's partly she blames herself and feels guilty but i this i find so moving too this like i just might die with the sadness mm-hmm. i'm like i can understand that yeah absolutely and sister evangelina's advice to this all did go before didn't it it's okay. just sister evangelina's advice to jenny about it all is sometimes you have to ex- admit defeat mm-hmm. and let the world turn as it must. Yeah. This is the, like, parents have to take care of their kids thing, but, like, what can I do? Nothing. Yeah. And they go to St. Gideon's. Mm-hmm. And you say about the broken biscuits. Yeah, so this is one of the, like, key moments in this episode. This is, is one of the, like, memorable moments of the show to Yeah, me. exactly. That he asks, Mr. Roberts asks uh, Jacob, who he met before, who lives at St. Gideon's, you know, do you like it here? And he's like, there's a biscuit factory next door. And you're like, oh, that's good. We get the broken ones. Like, that's exactly... The kind of place, the kind of thing you do, you give yeah. the disabled kids the broken cookies. They don't get, they don't get full cookies. And it's the like, I mean, it's a beautifully, beautifully heartbreaking, heartrending moment, 
And you can see it on Douglas's face, mm-hmm. Mr. Robert's face. Yeah. The like, we, there's a biscuit factory and he's like really hopeful. Like we get the broken ones. Mm-hmm. And it's a metaphor. I think it's so well written and so well done because they don't explain the metaphor, which I'm now going to. Yeah, because this exactly. Is a, <laughs> because this would be terrible in the show, but I think, I hope is okay in an analysis of the show. Yeah. That they give them the, I mean, it's, more than just it's what would really happen, it's a metaphor because yeah. biscuits are good things and why and St. Gideon's is a place of broken biscuits mm-hmm. and it's because the people there are treated as if are they're taken care of as broken people. Yeah. They are thought of as broken people. Mm-hmm. And they're cared for. They get biscuits. Yep. But they get broken biscuits because the perspective of St. Gideon's is a place for broken people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, people Douglas, not worth wasting your resources on. And Douglas does not want his son to be a broken person. Mm-hmm. That, like, spina bifida or not, he doesn't want him to be a discarded person. Mm-hmm. And the broken biscuits would go to in the garbage. Yes, exactly. And the broken people would go in the garbage. Mm -hmm. And St. Gideon's is the place where you catch people who would otherwise end up in the garbage. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's not a good thing that it exists. Mm -hmm. It's better that the broken biscuits go there than that they go in the garbage. It's better that the people go there than that they go in the garbage. But don't put your son with Mm -hmm. the broken people if you can help it. Yeah, exactly. Don't treat him like a broken person. Exactly. Exactly. If there's any, like, it's so much more, uh, it's the same idea as what the head said. Like, it's not a home. Mm-hmm. We do our best, but it's not a home. It's not a home. A child should be with his family. If there's any choice, if there's any possibility, then don't put him with the broken biscuits. Mm-hmm. And I think what he does next, I think, is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. To say, like, all right, we're doing it right now. Let's do it. To force her to make the choice. And he calls the baby it. Yeah. Bring it. Yeah. And that's the, like, it's exactly what Sister Evangelina has said. Like, you uh, stop her from having to care for the baby, then she doesn't care for the baby. Yeah, exactly. And it is a risk, yeah. Yeah. But she... It's like one of these moments that we see so much on the show, really, is when the rubber hits the road. That when you don't have options, you don't... I mean, when you aren't forced to choose, you don't choose. Yeah, exactly. When, like, I can just sit here and someone else will take care of him and I can stay at an arm's length from my sadness that I might die from. Mm-hmm. But you don't have that choice forever and you shouldn't have that choice forever and should should or not, you don't have yep. that choice forever. Exactly, exactly. And so the baby finally gets a name and he's named Douglas Jr. Yeah. As right at the end of the episode, they finally name him Douglas Jr. Mm-hmm. Or we hear his name Douglas Jr. And yeah. at the same time, 
the goldfish gets a name. Yeah. And the goldfish's name is Reverend Appleby Thornton because it's named after Jane's first kiss. <laughs> smooch, smooch, smooch. <laughs> What's with that voice? <laughs> it is. It's Jane exciting. And Reverend, they like the tree. all the all the matchmaking works. He confesses to her why he talks so much because he was trying to fill silence. She confesses to him why she's not brave because she was the, like kind of the opposite upbringing. Yeah. And so it's well, just... Well, we don't... We kind of read between the lines of Jane and why she's in was in St. Gideon's, but mm-hmm. Jane actually spells it out, right? Yeah. She doesn't have the words, the uh, diagnostic words, but we would say now that she had severe anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Like she has a panic attack earlier in the episode. It's not has... just that she is mm-hmm. nervous and scared kind of generally. Mm-hmm. She has anxiety that prevents her from doing things that she wants to do with her life yeah and so in that they end up being kind of a perfect match because she is reserved and he fills in the space with his talking and this is why i kind of like him is because not to this this extreme at all but this is something i can very much relate to is liking someone who can fill in the gaps in a conversation mm-hmm. and not feeling and making it so I don't feel awkward. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, frankly, that's why you and I are together because you can fill a gap in a conversation, <laughs> but it's also why I have, there's a few friends of mine who very much do that. And it's, yeah. And I love to him recognizing that recognizing her bravery, like it's beautiful that he, not only they're a good match because he talks and she doesn't, it's not just Jack Spratt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, he recognizes her strengths that she yeah. doesn't recognize in herself. Absolutely. And I mean, it's a beautiful thing to mm-hmm. be seen, to be recognized as strong. Yep. For the things that go unrecognized. Everyone else sees her as so weak and shy and timid and unable. Yeah. And he sees her as bold and brave. Yes, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very sweet. And a sweet way to end this. So, Jan? Yes. What is your favorite part of this episode? I mean, it's the broken biscuits. I mean, we can't... It is such a good line. It is such a good moment. I mean, it's heartbreaking and it's everything you said and struggled to say. It's... It has to be my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. You too? I'm going to say something. I mean, me too, but I'm going to say a different one. Okay. Which is, (laughs) I just crack up at the, hmm, someone should go with Reverend Appleby Thornton. Jane! (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That exchange. It's my favorite part. Yeah, definitely. Um, I forgot to mention, or I did mention in the recap, we didn't actually talk about the lovely drawing that Timothy makes with Sister Bernadette and Timothy together, and he's getting bonded to her, and this is yeah. the, the little thread going throughout the season that, I'm, that I love. Yes. Um, all right, so if you have things to say, if you want to tell us about your favorite part, if you love the Broken Biscuit line as much as we do, uh, you can... Contact us. We are on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. We are on, uh, you can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. 
If you enjoy our podcast and want to give us a little bit of support, this is how we can make this podcast happen is through our Patreon. So that is patreon.com slash clockworkscast. Thank you very, very much for joining us. I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. <laughs> <laughs>